So Kwame is he, he's stepping down as a protest. Well, it's sort of unclear. So today, <laughs> Kwame Kweyama, who has been artistic director of the Young Vic for six years, yeah. has um, said he's stopping um, in the summer. And he says it's been the honour of a lifetime. And, you know, he's so proud of all he's achieved in terms of innovation, access and all the rest of it. Yeah. And he has actually changed the... Um, the nature of that theatre and, you know, being yeah, really successful. But he he has also made this really, really tough statement saying the painful reality is I am leaving a subsidised sector where 13 years of standstill funding is taking its toll. For decades, the theatre industry has fueled the UK's world-renowned creative industries, providing vital pathways for artists to flourish, going from subsidised theatre into the West End and into TV and film. But without investment, we could lose this pipeline of talent within a generation. I'm hopeful that this can and must change, but it needs sincere government intervention. And I think that's really interesting. There's there's kind of, it does feel slightly to me as if theatre's kind of really genuinely in a crisis that we're almost not noticing. Yeah. Um, In the sense that the churn of artistic directors has suddenly become very... Um, intense, and I think it's just the stress of trying to run a theatre yeah, with yeah, no yeah. money. Yeah, essentially. Well, they, I mean, this generation, particularly that are about to leave and then be replaced, are the artistic directors that have brought the theatre back from the brink of COVID and have rebuilt. Yeah. Um, and and presumably they'd have to they've had to acknowledge and put into the mix the loans that got quite a lot of those theatres through COVID and help them build back, you know, particularly through that time when, you know, you could only have half the auditorium filled because you had to have two yeah. metre gaps. People were still in masks. Everyone was still, you know, nervous about even leaving the houses. I mean, all of that time, that that generation of artistic directors who were on their way out or are negotiating being replaced survived all of that yeah i mean that's but it's sort of catching up with them and i think it is worth discussing on this week's episode of as the actress said to the critic with me the critic sarah crompton and with me the actress nancy carroll because i do think that um yes so if you look at it the um the the, michael longhurst is leaving the dolma after five years rufus norris at the national theater has done 10 years but He's announced he's off. The churn in the regions is big. The Royal Court, Vicky Featherstone, yeah. has left. Yeah. And uh, David Byrne has taken over. Yeah. So the other sort of big theatrical news of the week is that he has come in and said that he is looking at making redundancies among the 250 strong staff. They hope will be voluntary. And, and crucially, because, you know, the Royal Court is a writer's theatre. That's yeah, the yeah. whole reason for it to exist they're looking at the literary department and discussing the closure of the literary department which is devastating which is devastating because it follows of course from Hampstead where you've just been working yeah which did get rid of its literary department yeah 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 and you really wonder for you know new writers coming out where they send their place to I mean the point about the Royal Court is any writer could send a a play on open submission and I think that was true in Hampstead without those two things in play where are people going to where is that the other the pipeline o- of young talent exactly you, you know the other major issue with surviving cuts is that if you 
create a model that can survive those cuts, then, you know, the gods that be that decide whether or not you can have more money turn around and say, well, you've survived with this amount. Why do you need more? And actually what's happening is these extraordinary institutions that are working against the odds, you know, employing people, giving people stages for new work, you know, are already on a skeleton staff. They're already having to make, you know, cuts. You know, that's the nature of the beast, you know, Mm -hmm. that running any institution under a Tory government, but particularly at the moment, is hard. So then you add all this, you add austerity, you add uh, pandemics, you add uh, inflation, you add the fact that nobody's got any money to go, um, but they're having to put up their ticket prices in order yeah. to sort of make ends meet, to even break even, to in order to then subsidise new work, in order to create productions that will bring in new audiences, particularly places like Hampstead that have a sort of a regular audience, so they need to be making work fairly regularly. You can't have long, long runs of things. It's tough yeah. and nigh impossible. And and you can, it's just, it's so frustrating because I feel like we've said all this stuff till we're blue in the face and you've got really important people using the platform of stepping down from the artistic directorships to say, this is, this is important. Yeah. It's not for nothing. You have... You know, we've said it before, that extraordinary um, Sam Mendes article in the FT at the beginning of the, of the pandemic explaining financially in Conservative Party terms how much the arts contribute, how much it's worth investing. It, it's sort of extraordinary. Yeah, it is extraordinary. Um, actually, the other, the other factor in the week is that Melvin Bragg gave a speech, I think last week, um, in which um, in the House of Lords, and he uh, that circulated widely on social media. Yes, I saw that. that it was brilliant. Keep, yeah, uh, and saying you know you cannot go on and on thinking that somehow the arts are an add-on to our yeah, culture yeah. and our society. They are our culture and our society. They are one of the things that we do absolutely brilliantly. Yeah, and you cannot starve them of money and support, and also we've which we have definitely talked about before. And the point I think he makes brilliantly: value yeah. is this idea that they are an add-on. That yeah. is so frustrating. This is this idea that somehow they're a luxury, but they they're the heart of what we do. Yeah, you know, yeah. the heart of how we live, whether it's what you watch on telly or what you see in theatre or what you see on film. Yes, that makes such a difference to everybody's life yes and it is appalling really yeah that, um it's being so ignored and the worry about theatre is a lot of it starts in theatre so if you look at you know the great popular hits of television you know whether it's EastEnders or Coronation Street a lot of those actors a lot of those writers have come up through the sitcoms they're you know they're people who started in a small way in a in a theatre very often in a subsidised theatre yeah films have come up through the theatre yeah theatre is just like this kind of thing that isn't for everybody, not everybody loves going there. Most people go a bit if they can afford it. Yeah, it is actually a sort of lifeblood, as as Kwame says, or yeah. something that is vital to yeah. the whole of society and to you know the place we're living now. If and, what, what, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but if you are a writer or a lighting designer or a makeup artist or a camera operator or you know anybody who works at any level of the of the creative machine that puts on television um film stage work 
for a government to say that what you do is extracurricular. Yes. What does that what does that do to to your mental health? What does that do to say that you you're you're what puts a roof over your head, what puts food on your family's table is not important to us. It's not it's not a serious yeah. occupation. Yeah. I mean that's that's dangerous talk. But it's also, I mean, even beyond that, you know, if you take someone like James Graham, who undoubtedly cut his teeth in theatre and in regional theatre, um, and it also says to everybody who watched Sherwood, for yeah. example, yeah, and yeah. thought it was brilliant, and millions did, and it was one of the BBC's kind of great hits, it says what you're doing doesn't matter. Yes, exactly. And it is, that, it is um, and I think it is reaching a tipping point because there is this idea that whatever you do to the creative industries, they can survive. Yeah. They've been through tough times and they can go on yeah, through yeah, more yeah. tough times. And we assume that it will be good. But the other thing I've done recently is talk to um, Tamara Harvey and Daniel Evans at yeah. the RSC. And they are, again, committed to new writing, committed to extending diversity of every kind behind the scenes and on the stages. Yeah. They're committed to bringing young working class people into theatre. But you can feel the tension yeah. as you talk to them that they've got the COVID loan to pay off. Yeah. They've got to please an audience. Yeah. There's only so far they can do go with all their plans to keep, you know, another great British cultural institution alive and thriving with those financial constraints. So... And, and and sorry, I'll finish this one point. And, you know, somebody like Nicholas Heitner at the bridge yeah. has had a hit. Yeah. And Guys and Dolls is being recast and will run and run. Yeah. yeah. And that's brilliant. And yes. Guys and Dolls is brilliant. But it means another stage is not available for new work, different people, all the rest yeah. of Yeah. Well, I mean, they built their theatre in, in uh, King's Cross, haven't they? But they haven't been able to open it yet as a theatre because... They're concerned that they won't be able to fill the 600 seats. Yeah, they put two brilliant visual shows. Yeah, which are brilliant. But I I think that it's interesting. It it always makes me think, when I was at art school, I had these two brilliant South African women who taught me, who basically said about making work, and it was in the context of making art, but they said, don't let, don't give money energy. Allow, you know creativity to work for the sake of itself don't turn off your you know juice maker because somebody has said you can't have financial support or whatever and that actually by allowing money to have power it's very dangerous for creativity and it it it's a different thing entirely because as an artist you work alone often and the analogy is interesting in this case because I think our main industry in this country is finance. It used to be cars and yeah. coal and heavy industry, you know yeah. heavy industry. It used to be all sorts of things that were celebrated. Our main industry is money. Yeah. I mean that's that's a dark, dark <laughs> state of affairs when you think all of those people are basically gambling. Yeah. You know they're gambling, but what I, what writing and art and theater and television and you know those are those are real tangible skills well and they make a huge amount of they money. make a huge they, amount you know, of are, money they are so i can never um quite remember the figure but it's 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 an absolutely staggering 
billions that come into the economy from the theatre. Yeah. And from the cultural, well, from the cultural industries, it has to be. And yeah, and make Britain a place that people want to come and make films. They want to come and um, develop yeah. their television shows. They want to come and put the stages on. They may, I mean, you know, other news this week, Tom Holland, Spider-Man. Not playing the, Romeo. <laughs> and the historian is coming back to the theatre to play Romeo. How brilliant is that? Yeah, yeah. That somebody who, who, you know, kind of is a worldwide movie star, wants to come back and act in Britain. And with Jamie Lloyd, who has been such a sort of cultural uh, driver of the excitement of theatre. Yeah. How brilliant it is. And, and all of that is kind of at risk at the moment. And you, you do have this sort of sense of churn, you know. And I think it it, it, it is... It, we, we go on not thinking it's a crisis and all these separate things keep happening. Yeah. Um, and yet it is a crisis and people are... You know, we're talking about London, but the regions are having an even worse time because people haven't got money, because they don't necessarily go to the theatre in the same way, because the pandemic did change the pattern of their lives. Yeah. Um, And that idea of, you know, going out to the theatre with your friends in the evening is under threat. Yeah. Um, I think it is. I, I, I don't think it's... We can go on and on making the assumption that the creative industries in Britain will just continue to thrive. And, sorry, I'll shut up, but the other thing is that, you know, I've said before, all the directors that I am really excited by, well, no, let me rephrase it. A lot of the directors I'm really excited by are working abroad, you know, because they can just do what they want, develop their style. Robert I, Katie Mitchell, they're, they're... they're tempted to go away. I yeah, mean, yeah. No surprise. But also, the other thing to say is that, you know, we're talking about the next generation of practitioners. You know, I've got two kids at school and the education system, you know, the state education system is starved of teachers. There's a crisis. There are not enough math teachers. There are not enough science teachers. People are leaving education all the time because of the strain that they work under. Or they get more money in the private sector, whatever it, for whatever the reason, the number of subs, as my kids call them, which is basically people having like to step in, yeah, which is a bit like yeah. a sport. You know, it's a crisis. Yeah. So for many kids, they are surviving school. It's not a great term, but they're surviving school. So the idea that all these other things that were available at other points in history, libraries and community centres and youth groups and theatres with programmes that people could go and work under other people. That It wasn't in a, a school-style environment, but there was the opportunity to be seen by a mentor mm-hmm. that could say, I think you've got important things to say, and whilst you find it difficult to sit still or, you know, put your stories down on paper, I can give you a way to, to make you feel valued and make your voice heard that's what the creative industries do. I, I think we need new words yeah. because they're too, these words are too easily sidelined. But what we're talking about is voice. I mean, I remember years and years ago, people are doing some workshops with a, a London Shakespeare workout, which was an extraordinary thing. But we used to go into prisons. And the, the, the thing that these guys, I mean, I, it was only a few that I went to, but the, everything that they you came away feeling was the 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 real calamity 
you know, and it's part of the punishment. Yes, they're in prison. They're in prison for a reason. All of that is a bigger conversation. But what they had lost is uh, that they had a voice. Yeah. They'd lost their name because they were referred to as a number and, and that, their, that their voice and that their story had any meaning yeah. or consequence. That was what had been ripped away. And by, by taking away, as Kwame says, the opportunity for the next generation of state-educated kids to have a place yeah. to write their stories, to tell their tales, to find a balance to all the other crap, you know, it's, it's dangerous stakes. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And actually that was um, the, the other thing that came out when I talked to... Um, Tamara Harvey was that the, um, the there's an astonishing thing about a school I think it's in Newcastle where the RSC has been working for many many years yeah and the literacy rates at that school have risen exponentially they've yeah. gone up something like 70 percent right. over a 10-year period there is no other factor they've, they've looked quite hard at what's happening because there's you know the education authorities are surprised the only factor seems to be that they are working with the RSC they're doing drama they're doing Shakespeare they're confident in speaking a language that is not comfortable for them but you know is is rich and expansive and gives them a voice and that seems to be the only factor that has changed the literacy rate in that school, which is astonishing. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, not to us, obviously, who sort of believe in it, but it, it it's kind of, yeah, as you say, it's a real sort of warning, banshee warning cry of what is going on and how throughout society things could be improved if we just had not only more money, but a different attitude to the importance of the arts. I mean, I'm very conscious that if Labour get in, if there's an election, if Labour get in, there are so many things on their plate. You know, today is the day that Labour are also talking about backing down on their 28 billion a year investment in climate. Um, the climate emergency, and you know, you feel that is very, very bad. But also it's a different way of viewing the world. It's a way of saying, you know, Culture matters. We're, we're powerful in it. We make lots of money in it. All those things. But the most important thing of all is it gives people, you're absolutely right, it gives people voices. It gives them confidence. It gives you a different way of dealing with the world. And we that has vanished from this society, in my opinion, really since since um, the Thatcher period. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly it was, it didn't matter as much. Yeah. I grew up at a time where culture really mattered and my children grew up at a time when it didn't. Yeah. When you think that, you know, none of, none of these things are coincidental. Mental health in kids is at an all-time high. You know, the people taking antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills is at an all-time high. As all of these things get killed off, as, as they are deemed to be less important, frivolous, elitist, unaffordable, all those things... That, that can't be coincidental. Yeah. You know, everything is connected. And if you, if you take away the community element, yeah, yeah. it's the community element. It's the fact that you, you remind people that they're human, that they're not isolated, that they're not alone, that there's somebody listening. That's what it does. Yeah. It's not like, oh, that's a lovely story about Shrek. We're talking <laughs> about 
You were talking about what it is to be human. It's about a hand being held out to say, you know, you're not in isolation. We belong to something that's important and all of your feelings, everything that you feel, in it, it, there will be somebody that feels the same, and that's what the arts do. You know that yeah. even the post office, the effect of Mr. Bates versus the post office, exactly. it's a On case in point. Yes, exactly. You know the fact that example. you know Mr. Bates put out that call, and all those people who were desperate. You know that's it's the same thing, and we tell the story, and suddenly everybody goes. Oh my God! And and the ripple effect of that that forces the government to acknowledge it's a story that that brought a community together that mm-hmm. then gave it was an ear it was a sort of but it's also true that you know for twenty years yeah people have been ignored and the, the story remains the same the the kind of validity of the story and and the the horror of how those people were being treated and it took a popular TV drama written by an older woman who worked on it for a very long time yeah and who had spent who understood the craft of what she was doing. Yeah. Um, and was acted by Toby Jones, who is somebody that we've all loved in theatre. And in, and it made, it suddenly brought it to the top of the agenda. And it is a brilliant example of why, you know, art, culture, access to art and culture, television, film, it's all incredibly important yeah. in shaping the society we live in, which really shouldn't be left to politicians. Yeah. I mean, you know, politicians are great. There's lots of brilliant politicians. I love our local MP. But, um, you know, it, sh- it has to be shaped by people who are, are, are telling different stories, making sure everybody's voice is heard. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just to sort of pull, um, pull to a close. So I think two things. One is I think actually though you think talking about it isn't doing anything. Yeah. In a way, when Kwame says this is, I'm going and this is what it is like. Yeah. It is important because it raises awareness. It makes people think again. Yeah. So that's sort of what we're doing here. Because it is a state of mind as well as state of finance. It is a state of finance. Yeah. And there has to be more money found for the arts and found to sustain, especially young talent, but also just theatres as popular places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the other thing we've done this week yeah. is to go and see Beth Steele's new play, Till the Stars Come Down. Yeah. Which is another profound example of what you're talking about, of a communal recognition yeah. of something that we're all living through. Yeah. Um, because it's set at a family wedding yeah. in um, uh, Nottinghamshire, Mansfield, um, where all kinds of issues are raised. It's, it's the most brilliant piece of naturalistic drama. Yeah. Um, and it raises all the things that everybody's living through. Yeah. I think from the kind of profoundly emotional of loving the wrong person yeah to the geopolitical of what is the role how do you cope as a society with change with immigration with integration yeah. and all those things and it's it's a totally brilliant drama isn't it i think it's extraordinary as well that 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 you know the the mines and the politics around the miners strike is a thread that runs through that play, just as James Graham's Boys from the Black Stuff is about to hit the national stage yeah. again. These are things we haven't got over. Yeah. And, you know, the minor strike was exactly 40 years ago. Yeah. And we're still talking about it. Yeah. We're still talking about the politics of what it is to be a scab, what it is to cross a picket line, what it is to take sides or not take sides, 
we're still it that story is still like a sort of open wound yeah for this country because it that industry hasn't been replaced you know towns have not recovered yeah. it's you know and and that was under a tory government these are important stories and the fact that you've got two on the national stage or yeah, you know well, i know and, that and, and you're going to have nye coming out which will be about the foundation of the nhs exactly kind of national story and again you know again these are this the irony being that the things that that you know are under threat under this government are you know filling our stages at the same time because there are things that we need to talk about there are things that we need to work through as a community and we need to watch these stories and hold hands and go this hasn't been solved this problem hasn't gone away and it was interesting that um when we went to watch it uh we were next to Amory Duff, who was in House of Shades, who did, um, which, which was a Beth Steele's play at the Almeida that she was in. And that what she said was, you just can't wait to say her lines. You know, it just fills your mouth in the most glorious way. And it was interesting to talk to someone who'd done her yeah. plays just before watching it. And you can see that all of those actors are just in love yeah. with being on stage, saying her words and telling that story. And that, the magic of that. Yeah, the um, pleasure of the writing is is just, it is sort of blissful and, 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 and yeah, very, very rich, very recognisable women characters yeah. of, you know, people that you absolutely know that you've spent time in a room yes, with. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and very recognisable issues that they're all dealing with. Yeah. And, and, and I think that uh, what I... I, I, I loved it. Lorraine Ashbourne is so unbelievably stand-up comedian funny as yeah, this yeah. terrible kind of interventionist aunt who appears and <laughs> causes havoc. And all of the sisters are beautifully acted. Um, and it's like the three sisters. It is the three sisters on... Um, I said in my review, I was quite pleased. Three sisters on um, Heineken. Yeah. It reaches the parts other players just don't, don't reach. And it really did do that. Yeah. Um. And I think very consciously. But what is your you're right, what's fascinating about it is that it deals with change in a very specific way and reveals the fact that we're all sort of standing, we think we're standing still, we think we've moved on. But actually those scars of how we've moved on and how communities have changed. Yeah. Um, all those not just all those old mining communities, but as you, the point you made earlier about the move from heavy industry in this country to finance as being yeah. a way, the move from call center uh, from from jobs where people made things to call centers and warehouses where people send things out. Yeah, yeah. All of that we're living through, and you don't often have time to stand back. And think about it. Yeah. And 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 Bestiel allows you to do that. Yeah. Within the forum of this extraordinary, funny, moving, wrenching, beautifully written yeah. family saga. Yeah. I I mean, and also the fact that her writing and the structure of it pays homage to, you know, to Chekhov, to Greek tragedy. There's this there there is something classic and timeless. And I think what's you know, that that's not for nothing in as much as it's being celebrated on the national stage. Because again, you know, everything that pays homage to something that was 20 years before, 50 years before, 100 years before, 
shines light on the industry as a whole. Those things exist. Beth Steele grew up watching those plays that inspired her to write her plays. You know, and that's a that's a lineage. That's something that needs to be celebrated yeah. and supported and shouted from the rooftops about. You know, and what's so brilliant about the play is I, you know, I'm not a reviewer. I sat there as a punter, as a performer, thinking, my God, what joy. Yeah, yeah. And but I there it had elements of magic realism. It had this extraordinary connectivity with the audience that 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 was being relished, it was subtle, it was the prism. And I loved the fact that, you know, from my sort of layman's point of view, that that the the the, the women, it was it was through their eyes. It was very yeah. much through their eyes and th- maybe even through the eyes of the two young girls. And that that to have that writing for women, it sort of celebrated everything it is to be female but also about com- connections with women between women between and siblings women. and yeah. you know and that that and the ghosts of families you know you go home and you you fulfill roles you fight against those roles you re- you know you you bathe in those roles and it had all of that and so it's extraordinary and again you know anybody sitting in the audience who grew up in the midlands or wherever that you you, you sit and you go oh my god that's my family yeah, you know again it's another know. community thing it's a handout to say this yeah. this chat this noise this volume this sort of you know unhealed wounds it's it's what makes us who we are and there are people who will will relish the fact that they're suddenly not isolated again yeah. in their in their life experience yeah and also i think you know to bring us back at the end to to Kwame's thought about the pipeline of young talent. Yeah. I've been watching Beth Steele for a long time. Yeah. And willing her on because she clearly from the beginning was, um, a, you know, a distinctive voice and, and a wonderful writer. She's always had this amazing ear. Yeah. And she's interested in family life. She's interested in the way that you can show things through family life. And I, I think a, another week we might talk about family sagas because yeah. there's quite a lot of them emerging. But um, the thing that's interesting about her is that um, House of Shades, which was the play Anne-Marie Duff was in at the Almeida, um, I thought was wonderful. It very specifically had its base in Greek tragedy. Right. Um, but... It wasn't quite there. I mean, it was wonderful. I mean, I really loved it. And Anne-Marie Duff gave an extraordinary performance. And you, but you see in Till the Stars Come Down the value of the nurturing, the value of the process, the fact that she has been allowed to find her voice over a period of time in theatres. Yeah. And and that is the pipeline of yeah. young talent. And we mustn't lose it. Yeah. And we also mustn't lose the idea that, you know, it would be very easy for steel like Lucy Preble or... To, to say, okay, well, I'll go off and write in, you know, Hollywood. I mean, and it, um, you know, it's it's happened to a lot of really talented writers because they feel they can't, Abby Morgan, you feel they can't make it here yeah, on stage yeah. in places. So that's another reason that we just need to value and nurture and love, love, love these people and, yeah. and, and not lose them. There's a culture, there's a culture that is dying and I, uh, of mentoring and apprenticeship in this country and it's across the board it's across all industry and it, and and in the arts it's how people survive it's how people relish permission 
and and how the one generation enables the next. It's a baton passing. It should happen at every level. It should happen in writers. It should happen in designers. It should happen in actors. It, it should happen in artistic directorship. In, in the way that it does across the board. But people need money and they need support and they need time, time to do that. And they need to be supported so that they can look back behind them and go, okay, who's coming up? Who needs help? And it's, it's how the world runs. It's how everything has happened in life since the beginning of time. But if people pull up their drawbridges because they're not financially supported or they're told that their industry is worthless... I, I mean, I'm not going to swear. I'd quite like to swear, but I, I, I feel really strongly about this, yeah. and I, and I think, it's, it's what we do. So now we've talked about it. That's a, that's our first two penny worth. On yeah. that, on that theme, and I think we will come back. the The apprenticeship thing is really interesting. I think we will come back to that. There's a lot of it in dance, which is really interesting, and and um, it, it's under the same pressure. Yeah. Really, and I think yeah, it, it's really important. But I think now we probably have to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit hot now. I need to <laughs> calm down, but not too much because yeah. it, is, it does really, really matter. So for now, it's, it's goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And goodbye from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic. <laughs>